With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Dirk Pullman Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Willkommen, bienvenue, welcome to the Dirk Pullman Show. And my cherished guest is uh, Colonel, former Colonel of the Swiss Army, Jacques Beau. You've also been in military intelligence and you've been trained as kind of an envoy of the Swiss Army in Russia uh, by this. You got the same training program, I understand, as the Russian uh, um, high officers, high command would get. But maybe you introduce a little bit um, of what you've done. You have a long, long list of what you've done. But what is important for this topic, what you uh, um, a little bit about yourself. Yeah, many thanks for inviting me to your show. Um, as you said, I used to be, um, I would work for strategic intelligence in Switzerland during the Cold War. And I'm colonel, a colonel in general staff. It's a German uh, a concept uh, where, whereby uh, an officer is trained for all the major activities that that uh, 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 a big staff does for preparing operation and things like that. And I used to be also um, head of the policy and doctrine in uh, in the Department of Peacekeeping Operation for the United Nations uh, in New York. And my last assignment was uh, head of the uh, fight against proliferation of small arms in the NATO, which is quite odd because Switzerland, as you know, doesn't belong to NATO, is not a member. <laughs> but thanks to a special agreement between Switzerland and NATO, I was the only Swiss working in NATO. And in that capacity, I used to be uh, involved in the... Um, the issue in Ukraine in 2014, I for monitoring the flow of arms in the Donbass and elsewhere in, in Ukraine. And I was also involved in, um, in Ukraine for the restructuring of the Ukrainian armed forces, which was um, a, a help or a, a support provided by NATO in the framework of the Partnership for Peace. To Ukraine, so I had the opportunity to to go in this very troubled uh, times, uh, 2014, 2015, oh. uh, several times in Ukraine, and uh, hence my different books about uh, this uh, the situation in this country. Yeah, and you're a truly independent mind. Uh, this is why I. Try to when you say something when you're somewhere. I try to listen, <laughs> and it, that's my advice to anybody else because this is a minefield of information, and really there are some people from Austria and from Switzerland um, that provide us with a yeah what <laughs> a neutral view of that. So um, to get into that immediately, we um, we have right now the situation. We have the Munich Security Conference which has uh, the topic of nuclear weapons for Europe, a question mark on that. And exactly in this moment, and only three weeks away, a little bit more, maybe four weeks away from the election uh, in in Russia, um, and uh, with uh, Yulia Navalny, the wife of uh, Navalny, 
he, she was invited before the death of her husband uh, to the conference. Uh, uh, she is giving a speech there and we hear a lot right now. So um, I was very astonished when I heard about that. Uh, Navalny was in a prison camp, a colony as that's called, a panel colony, very up high in the north. And um, from the last things we heard from him or what I could see, he was in good health and now he suddenly died so my first question um would it make sense <clears throat> for putin or for the fsb or anybody else to kill him right now uh, in what way anyway it sounds outlandish but in what way could that make sense well that's that's a, a fascinating question actually um i have obviously absolutely no idea of what really happened in the in in uh, to 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 Alexei Navalny I wrote a book mm. about him uh, a few a couple of years ago so uh, I I studied the person and also the relationship between the person uh, this person and uh, and the Russian state now the, the problem is that and that applies to the Navalny case or to Ukraine or to Palestine and all that the the the, the big problem we have in making in uh, trying to assess a situation is that we work with half of the the information basically we discard all information that disturbs us and we keep only the information that supports a narrative and therefore, we 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 come to complete uh, 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 absurd uh, conclusions, such as uh, the uh, uh, what what we heard recently in Europe uh, with NATO, and also in the in the conference in Munich, that uh, you had you 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 may have an invasion of Russia to to towards uh, uh, Europe, which doesn't make any sense. To come back to your question. Navalny is uh, is is portrayed in the West as the most the most dangerous co uh, competitor or, or contestant to mm. to Putin. In reality, almost nobody knows Navalny in Russia. He's known in the West because he was presented as a potential alternative to Putin. But in reality, if you look at the polls that have been made in the last 10 or 15 years, you, you will see that he barely, uh, he barely has more than, I think the max he got was something like 3% of people who supported him. In the last couple of years, his support uh, which is mainly, by the way, people uh, on the uh, uh, um, social networks, TikTok and Telegram and all that. So basically young people, um, very young, actually, between 15 and 25. This is the, the most uh, biggest uh, uh, cohort of, of supporters. It's, it's in the last couple of years, it was only 1%. So... Uh, uh, he has never been elected as a person, uh, um, uh, Navalny. So basically, he's absolutely no alternative and no, let's say, challenge uh, or challenger to, to Vladimir Putin. And as we see today, um, currently Russia is in the best position in the, um, I mean, op on the operat operational side in Ukraine. 
there is no reason why you would, at this particular point, uh, eliminate Navalny. I don't know what happened. Maybe it's it's possible, but I would say it's possible, but it's not probable, because okay. the everything that would happen to Navalny, the the government knows perfectly that it it would resonate in the whole on the whole planet as a potential crime or whatever by the the, the government. Notabene, it's interesting to see that a couple of weeks ago, you had an American journalist based in Ukraine who was Gonzalo arrested Lira. by the Ukrainian secretary <laughs> Gonzalo Lira exactly he was he was arrested by the Ukrainian secret service just before being arrested Gonzalo Lira said if they arrest me I'll be killed in the in the prison he said that and as a matter of fact he died a few a few weeks ago in the in prison now absolutely no media in the west has has taken that that information although the the um, joe biden was asked several times before the death of gonzalo lira he was asked uh, several times even anthony blinken was asked to uh, make some pressure on the uh, ukrainian government to release uh, gonzalo lira Nothing was yes, done. Yes, because he was in he very was bad done. medical shape and we knew about it and they knew about it. It's exactly. unlike uh, Navalny right now. It was a and uh, it was the well, story of an know, announced death, yeah. Yes and no. Uh the, the, with with Navalny, we know that he had a uh, uh, um, severe uh, health problems. We know that just before uh, his death, he was in good condition. But he had hmm. basically, and, and interestingly enough, uh, as he was allegedly poisoned, you may remember that was in 2020, where he, he, he allegedly poisoned in, a, in, in the flight between uh, uh, Siberia and Moscow. And uh, eventually he went uh, in, the, um, uh, in the hospital in Berlin uh, in the uh, La Charité, in the hospital La Charité. Hmm. Interestingly enough, the doctors of this hospital have published the uh, the, the the conditions the, the the health condition of Navalny as he arrived in the in the hospital uh, just after this alleged poisoning, and as we can see from that report, which has been published in the Lancet, the the famous uh, medical. Uh, review the British Review, and as we can see in this uh, in this article, we see that Navalny was in poor shape. Basically, I mean, uh, 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 he had he had obviously a problem that was a, a combination of alcohol and uh, and some antidepressant uh, medic medicine that uh, <laughs> interacted badly let's say and that's that was mm. the reason for his alleged poisoning but beyond that uh, the, the 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 doctors noticed that he was in very bad condition and as a matter of fact after he returned in russia and he was put in jail not be because of politics i have also to remind that but because he had uh, um he, he was uh, condemned for embezzlement, 
so uh, basically a corruption case uh, so that's that's interesting so it has nothing to do with politics it is a mere uh, um, penal uh, uh, case and he was jailed and he had on on several occasions during his time in the prison he had uh, 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 health issues so uh, uh, since he was transferred after having TikToked and, and telegrammed messages and so on, he was transferred to a more, let's say, secure uh, prison in Siberia. Uh, that's where he died. I'm not sure exactly who his condition was, but let's say Navalny, for his age, was not a guy in, in 100% healthy. Let's put it that way. Now, this is no excuse um it was a responsibility of the um uh, russian authorities to keep him uh, in good condition as much as they could and here we don't know exactly what happened but i i personally think he was not deliberately eliminated but it's just my personal view i have absolutely <laughs> no indication that can confirm that i what we can say is that there was no political interest or issue that would justify his elimination at this point on time in time. So I think it's a it's an important matter. So I think we have to 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 look at this with uh, with care. Um, we it's it's very easy in the West to start to elaborate uh, uh, judgments and to assess things without having all information. We have done exactly the same with Nord Stream. <laughs> we have done the same with, with several uh, items and eventually it, it appeared, and including the, um, by the way, the poisoning of uh, uh, Alexei Navalny because what the, the doctors have published in, um, in December 2020, if I remember well, uh, that just explains that he was not poisoned. So we have to be very careful with our assessments and our tendency to make very uh, hasty judgments based on poor information. With strong wording, we have uh, Ursula von der Leyen and Biden who said uh, that Putin killed Navalny. Um, and let's, uh, we have to have a break now for ads. Uh, let's get uh, to the point because uh, Biden announced in 2021, should Navalny die, uh, Russia will be punished. And uh, that is interesting now that we are in the conference. It also reminds me of uh, when Biden stood next to uh, Chancellor Scholz and said, if Russia goes into Ukraine, there will be no uh, Nord Stream pipeline anymore. And we guess and guess who could have blown it up. But <clears throat> let's get into that after the ads. <laughs> TNT's Steve Malzberg. Now that they've gone to the Supreme Court, the trial cannot start based on the appeals court decision. They have to wait now for the Supreme Court. And the longer it goes on, the longer before the trial could start if they were to rule that he does have to face trial, correct? Correct. No, okay, good. Well, that's uh, that's good. That's good. That's good for Trump. I mean, obviously, and, and so. it could take several months. I mean, understand. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. the first vehicle is actually it was only three judges from the panel that actually heard this case on the appellate court. He the Trump team can say we want it heard before all the judges on this appellate court. So it would take time for that to happen. Then it has to go back to the Supreme Court. 
And by the time that all happens, you know, these things don't happen yeah. overnight unless it's no. emergency hearings. You but I don't see election. this one yeah. emergency. Steve Malzberg on today's News Talk TNT. This is generally the view of people, oh, we don't know much about Assange. Well, you should know, because whether you know it or not, he is fighting for you. For your courage and leadership and tenacity in journalism and publishing. Since 2010, Assange has been held in progressively narrower, darker, colder, and crueler spaces. He has been detained since the 7th of December 2010 in one form or another. And we are now here after years of imprisonment. WikiLeaks is a non-state hostile intelligence service. I think the man is a high-tech terrorist. A high-tech terrorist. A traitor, a treasonist. He has to answer for what he has done. Assange faces up to 175 years in prison for publishing classified documents exposing U.S. war crimes. The U.S. government narrative about Julian is a complete fraud. It is a complete fraud from A to Z. Julian took on the most powerful countries in the world, basically all of them. We now have confirmed that there were plans to kidnap Julian here in the center of London or even assassinate him. No one who instigated that illegal and immoral war has been brought to justice. But the great truth teller sits behind bars. If wars can be started by lies, peace can be started by truth. Julian Assange is a hero. What if everything we thought we knew about somebody was a lie? Would we be willing to go on a new journey of understanding? This is a story of deception, lies, bravery, and a man who risked everything to bring the truth to light. Mr. Assange shows all the symptoms that are typical for a person that has been exposed to psychological torture over a prolonged period of time. He looked at me intensely and said, I hate to say this. He then hesitated, visibly troubled and searching for words, and then he finally said, please, save my life. May future generations have the ability to speak without restraint. May our children and their children know truth and have access to information that leads to justice. Wherever Julian goes, free speech goes with him. If there is a bird that is about to take flight, stretch her wings and rule the skies. May it be a peace dove and no longer a bald eagle. If you think Assange is a traitor, he's a rapist, he's a narcissist, he's a hacker, I don't blame you because you have been deceived. And if you think you've not been deceived, that's normal because otherwise it wouldn't be deception. If you're talking about it, we're talking about it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Yeah, and back um, with uh, Colonel, former Colonel Jacques Beau. Uh, we just heard about Julian Assange and TNT will cover the, the trial next week. And I think it's a good reminder 
about the double standards in the West. If you hear about Navalny, who is a a person where his political beliefs and I saw videos that he've done, that would be uh, it would be illegal in the West too. What he's done, he was depicting um, Muslims as cockroaches and so on. So it was he's not a. And if you compare to to Julian Assange, then you see um the neglect that we have uh for, for example our foreign minister in germany uh annalena baerbock said she has trust in the british uh, juridical system uh, and i don't know why <laughs> it's <laughs> i really don't have any idea why you should trust that but let's get back to that we were talking about biden announcing in 2021 or i mentioned that that he said there will be uh, Russia will be punished. Do you think this is, um, of, uh, how will this be used now? What could be a punishment that they hand out? Um, and we have well, to talk about also the war situation, I think, right now. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing is that is that uh, Vladimir Putin has been so vilified in the last two years. There are so many sanctions on Russia. There are so uh, um, uh, sanctioned everywhere that you you can ask yourself what can they do more <laughs> against mm. Vladimir Putin, and and that's that shows also the the lack of long term thinking that we have in our foreign policies. Um, the idea uh, at the beginning of the Russian offensive, that means in uh, 24th of February uh, 2022, as the West imposed massive and, and, and sudden sanctions on Russia, the idea was to make Russia collapsing. And that was expressed, by the way, uh, in, in full word, plainly in plain word by uh, the French Minister of, uh, of Economy, who said that the, the issue is here to make Russia to collapse. Now, we have seen that it didn't happen. Uh, mm. But and, and they try since then to put additional sanction packages, I think now they have put something like 13 sanction packages. And at the last news, I saw that uh, uh, Russia has is still a growth of 3.5, 3 3.6%. And that's more than all the, the countries of the G7, meaning that all these sanctions have virtually had no effect on Russia that Russia is healthier than, than ever and stronger than ever. And we have exhausted all the possibilities to uh, have some kind of leverage on, on it. We, don't, we don't, don't have even the diplomatic leverage because we, we just broke all the relationships with, with Russia. Meaning that we, 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 we keep making or threatening Russia, China, and whoever with sanctions, although we know this doesn't work, we know that our assessment of the situation is based on false assertions. And that's exactly what happened to Russia because we assumed that Russia had the same economy as Italy or Spain, and then it would collapse very soon after the sanctions would be applied. And that never happened. Why? Because we falsely 
uh, uh, assessed the uh, the economy of of Russia, and the same for everything. You know, today we have, if we go back to Ukraine, the the thing is that you have soldiers, Ukrainian soldiers, complaining because they were sent to the front line uh, with people telling telling them that uh, uh, Russia has already lost the war. The soldiers would flee as soon as they arrive. They have no ammunition. Uh, they have no more ammunition. They have no uh, command and control. The, the command and control is poor and so on and so forth. And the, the Ukrainian soldiers went confidently to the front uh, assuming that it would be an easy piece of cake to uh, uh, take Avdivka or Bakhmut or whatever, mm. and what they what they what they see on the front is exactly the opposite. And it it was interesting in an interview given to the uh, the, the the journal, the Spanish journal El País. Uh, you had a, a soldier saying, "We were deceived." by our own country that told us things that were not true. And what, what we are doing, we are, we are convincing ourselves that Russia is like this or like that is bad, is thing. And it doesn't, it doesn't match the reality. As a result, people, especially in the West, tend to lose confidence with their government, with their media, mm -hmm with everything because we notice that everything that has been said since the beginning of the uh, russian offense was wrong i mean russia has not lost i'm not saying it's a a, a fantastic victory as uh, you could see in a movie but uh, still they 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 are keeping what they have they are advancing on the whole length of the front line by the way so Ukraine is losing, is losing massively, losing massively personnel. Estimates range from 300,000 to 500,000 dead on the Ukrainian side, dead. While on the Russian side, you have this um, website which has been made by an opposition organization, which is called Media Zona, together with the uh, British BBC. And they publish every week um, the estimate of the Russian losses uh, based uh, on the, the, the Russian fatalities uh, based mm. on the um, uh, obituaries and uh, what you see on the uh, social networks. And what you see on the uh, on this media zona, which is absolutely totally against Putin, by the way. You can right. see that <laughs> the, the, the number of fatalities suffered by Russian the Russian armed forces is about 10 times lower than the estimates for the Ukrainians. So meaning that I don't know what the exact figure are, uh, whether for the, the, the Ukrainians or for the Russians. I don't know those, those figures. But the estimates at hand show that we have the narrative that we see in our media is totally false. And what we can see in, in, in Ukraine with the forcefully recruitment, the forceful recruitment of individuals, the all the measures that have been taken against desertion, because you have a huge amount of deserters. And by the way, in 2014, as I was 
uh, involved, uh, as I told you, for the, in the in the uh, restructuring of the uh, Ukrainian armed forces. There was a project that was funded by the British, by the way. Um, we we the the problem at that time was desertion. People were deserting the, the Ukrainian army. Why? Because the Ukrainians didn't want. I mean, the Ukrainian soldiers didn't want to fight against the Russians. That's that, and therefore they they just left. And you had a, a, a lot of of uh, of troops that left totally with weapons, ammunition tanks and all that but and that was even uh, in crimea for instance just as an example uh, that was said on the ukrainian tv by um by a ukrainian parliamentarian who said that in in, in during the events in february 2014 out of the 20 do you had 22000 ukrainian soldiers stationed in crimea out of those 22,000, 20,000, 20,000 went to the Russian side. So mm. that, you know, all these aspects are not uh, said. And these were the, 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 the little green men, actually, because what happened with those Ukrainian soldiers in Crimea is that they just removed their insignias uh, out of their shoulders and uh, the, the patches they had, and they, become, they, they had no insignia, and they become those little green men, as they were called. Mm -hmm. But in fact, they were Ukrainian soldiers, Russian-speaking soldiers who went on the side of the rebels because they didn't want to shoot on their brothers, uh, and and that's these are the aspects that you still have today. That's why you have so many people who are reluctant to participate, even if some lot of people in Ukraine, I'm convinced, are not happy to see the Russian presence on their land. I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure of that. But at the same time, they don't expect uh, the, the, their country to fight against the Russians. That's that's the, the I think what the, the, the Ukrainians, the wish of the Ukrainians would have been a political solution. And the political solution was offered by the Minsk agreement and that was signed in 2015. And I think that's exactly what the Russians uh, asked to uh, implement. That's exactly what the French and the German governments, who were guarantors on the Ukrainian side, refused to do. They refused mm -hmm. to make Ukraine implement these agreements, the, the, this, uh, this uh, Minsk agreement, because they signed the agreement in order to buy time to prepare Ukraine for war. So mm. we we see that when we see those, the, the when we put all the information, all the information, not just half of it, then we have a completely different picture and we understand very well. You know, I, I, I've written several books that explain the, the situation in Ukraine and how Russia in fact is in a better position than Ukraine. And surprisingly, in the media, I'm here considered as a, a Putin agent and Russian agent or things like that. But recently, here in Brussels, I was told, some, someone called me on the streets and 
he, he came to me and said, thank you for what you are doing. Thank you for your books and thank you for your videos. And you know, I asked this guy, who are you? I mean, he said, I'm a Ukrainian. I'm a Ukrainian <laughs> refugees. I'm a Ukrainian refugees. And the problem is that we, we don't, even us, we don't have the right picture of what is going on in our country. So thank you for what you are doing. And I got on, on several occasions, by the way, I was invited uh, recently to a conference in Switzerland. And again, among the, the, the public, the, 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 the attendees, there was a couple of Ukrainians who came to me after the conference to thank me because the the the, the information that the media give about the uh the the, the conflict the, the information is totally biased and that is not helpful for nobody because for if nobody you are convinced that you win and you are not winning you are just going deeper in the in in in, in the in the defeat and that's exactly what is going on you cannot wage a war by that's exactly what Sun Tzu told us about 2,500 years ago. Yeah. I mean, if you, you, the worst thing you can do in a war is to underestimate your enemy. Mm. And that's exactly mm. what we have done constantly since, I mean, since 2014, basically, but uh, more especially since uh, 2022. So I'm, I'm come, as I told you, I'm, I'm come from an intelligence background. My job was during the Cold War to assess daily what is the situation and hope probably is that the Warsaw Pact would attack Europe. So this is this was the part of the daily job to assess that. Now. <clears throat> To do that, you cannot just go based on your opinion or your feelings and on the on the temperature outside. I mean, this is this is not a way of doing things. You have to understand how people think. You have to understand what is their potential, what what is their education system, how people understand things, how they see the world, how they see the, the war, how they see things, and how they understand us. And it's interesting to see that if you look at the recent interview that you had, uh, this interview of Tucker Carlson and Vladimir Putin, you could you could see that as a matter of fact, Putin understands us better than we understand him. And and this is this is this indicates beyond the words, beyond the propaganda, beyond anything you can. Imagine through this interview, the, the, the very fact is that our weakness is our inability to understand others. And that applies very well to the Palestinian conflict as well. That applies to Afghanistan as well. That applies to, uh, to Iraq, to Syria, to Libya. We never try to understand people. We, we are ethnical centered on ourselves. We think the white man is the wise man, and we have the truth. And all others, they don't count. As a result, but we, we, we notice that they have another rationale. They have an under understanding. They see us. They judge us. And in fact, if you, if you think carefully, if you look carefully at what they say and how they see us, 
you would say it's not totally wrong. And that's mm. why uh, when I was in Afghanistan, I, I asked my driver at one point, he was a Pashtun, I asked him, what do you think about the, the, the Taliban? And this guy was the same ethnic group. Huh? He was a Pashtun as the Taliban. And he told me, you know, we don't like the Taliban. But if we have to choose between the Westerners and the Taliban, we will choose the Taliban. It's extremely simple. The problem is that we are not able to see that. We are not able to understand that. So we wage wars with individuals we don't know, with countries we don't know, with cultures we don't know, and therefore we lose. And that's just... We, I think we'll have a lot of Sun Tzu moments uh, from, from there on. That's, everybody should read that. It's really, uh, it helps... You can explain the Vietnam War with Sun Tzu, uh, why it was lost, exactly. and that's the same situation now. Uh, but let's get, I've, we have to get to another round of uh, of uh, um, advertisement. And that, after that, I'd like to talk with you about, um, I'm depressed by the situation in Ukraine because it's a slaughter of young men on large scale, World War One scale, which I never thought would be possible. And um, my question will be, um, no matter how much money you put in there, uh, how long can this go on? Because they're run out of people, and that's awful. Exactly. And the other thing that I'd like to talk with you about is uh, now this quest for nuclear weapons. With this, uh, Now that we are standing next to the cliff, we want to go one step further. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so first the ads and then to that. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. Last week when Karine Jean-Pierre was asked about the position of Joe Biden when it comes to late-term abortions, she had the phony rhetoric ready to go. What I will say is majority of Americans, majority of Americans, wants to see their rights protected, wants to see women have their rights protected, wants to be able to, wants, want women to be able to make those deeply, deeply personal decisions on their bodies, on their own, not politicians. That's what majority of Americans want to see. And so the president's going to stand with majority of Americans on this issue. Do those unborn babies have any rights then? I'm not gonna get into that specific, I'm not gonna get into that question. Rights for unborn babies, what are you, mad? <laughs> but let's take a look at how Americans really feel about the issue of abortion. This is from Gallup, May of last year. Only 34% of Americans believe abortion should be legal under all circumstances. 34%, a majority, 64% say limited circumstances or not at all. And in the same poll, only 22% of Americans believe third trimester abortion should be legal at all. It just shows that Karine Jean-Pierre and her leftist buddies are a bunch of liars. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on TNT. Need a ride? Yeah! Driving with kids is a big responsibility. Hop in and buckle up! So don't sweat the small stuff. You got paint all over our paper! Get the big stuff right instead. What does that mean? Like making sure your kids are in the correct car seat and buckled up for safer travel. That deserves a wiggly wiggly wig. To make sure your child is in the right seat for their age and size, visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. You're listening to Dirk Pullman on today's News Talk, TNT Radio.
And my guest is uh, former Colonel uh, Jacques Beau, um, Swiss Army and Swiss in military intelligence. Yeah, my um, I said I'm uh, I couldn't stand it really to to watch this war um, because of the consequences. Um, it's uh, an enormous slaughter, and uh, for no reason, this war could have stopped from the beginning. It's awful. It's awful. But the question now: um, What is your assessment about the military situation? Um, uh, in a way, I think you can see that there are preparations because the war is lost. If you look at the situation, I think there's no question. Uh, it only is a question of how long long it can drag on, not uh, about the outcome. And then um, how many more Ukrainians will have to die? And is there even the idea that you get other soldiers in, that you get legionnaires, uh, mercenaries, or do you know what what is the assessment there? And then the talk about uh, uh, nuclear weapons in Europe. This is all. Yep. And when we heard about Assange, about the case, that's also the coincidence that you have the Navalny case now <laughs> while Assange is going to. Um, I mean, it's all awful. I'm very, um, I've been a soldier myself for NATO and I even volunteered. And I'm very, very disappointed about our culture. I cannot tell how much it is. It's dismayal, yeah? So I think if we want to survive, we have to go to our basic ideas and look what is left of that. And it's not very much. Absolutely. But um, the last 15 minutes for you, Colonel Jack Bo, I will just remind you of the time <laughs> that yeah, we will still try. have to run. Okay. <laughs> because there, there is a lot to, be, to, to say about that. I mean, first of all, I think we have, as you said, uh, this is currently a slaughter, and and as the Russians have said, I mean, on uh, in October 2022, um, General the Russian General Surovikin said, from now on, we'll, we are not going to make big uh, arrow on the map and and make big advances and things like this. We'll just grind the Ukrainian army down to nothing. And that's exactly what they are doing. They're just grinding the Ukrainian forces. They have done that in Bakhmut. They have done that in the Avdivka recently. And basically, they are doing that on the whole lines of the, the on the whole front line. So the idea is not to take over uh, Ukraine. I think that was never the idea of of the Russians. Uh, for a simple reason, they know perfectly that at least the western parts of of Ukraine. Is uh, is ultra nationalistic, and uh, I would like was just a short uh, short info because there are some basic rules. For example, if you want to conquer a country, you need one soldier for every ten inhabitants. That's uh, in the in the Czechoslovakian invasion. This is about the number that they had there, and it's much less now. So this was, and also you need about one three to five times as many. Uh, on the on the aggressor side, so everything the Russians did was a sign to the West that they are not planning to invade Ukraine. It absolutely. was clear. Yeah, okay, go ahead. Ab absolutely. <clears throat> and by the way, uh, uh, when uh, Zelensky made his proposal in March 2022, uh, it was a, a, a proposal for a, a solution of the conflict. And in this proposal the Russians were ready to remove all their troops out of Ukraine. So they didn't want to keep Ukraine. That was not the idea. What they wanted is to demilitarize and denazify. I don't want to comment on these terms right now because that would take more than 10, 15 minutes. But <laughs> that was the idea. 
And the, the idea was not to conquer uh, Ukraine. And that's certainly not the idea today. So the what they are doing, they are moving very slowly forward. But the aim of the name of the game is to destroy the Ukrainian military potential. That's basically the aim of de demilitarization. And <clears throat> on the Western side, we also have to say, the aim is not to help Ukraine. That's not that. The, the aim, the name of the game for the West, and when I say the West, I would say the United States, not even NATO, United States, mm. is to weaken Russia. And why to weaken Russia? Because they don't want Russia to be a support to China. The ultimate goal is China. And that was written. I'm not, I'm not uh, uh, making that up on my own. It was written. You had several articles uh, already in to, uh, 2020, 2021, and 2022 uh, in foreign affairs. And, and you had also this famous uh, report of the Rand Corporation uh, strategy, basically, that was uh, established by the Rand Corporation in March 2020, uh, 2019 uh, to the for the Pentagon explaining how to weaken Russia and what we are mm. witnessing today is exactly the scenario that was proposed in that strategy by the Rand Corporation. It's a 300 pages document that explains in detailed way how to weaken Russia. But interestingly, it's like that, a script for a movie. You, you, if you read exactly, it, you know the movie. Yeah. Exactly. And you see all the aspects that includes uh, Armenia and Azerbaijan, Transnistria, uh, Sweden and Finland uh, coming into NATO and everything. Everything we have seen in the two la last two years is in that script. But interestingly enough, what also is in this script, and nobody has mentioned that, it is in my last book on the uh, art of war, of uh, the Russian art of war, the, what what's the, the strategists of the Rank Corporation have warned the Pentagon and have said, if you apply this strategy, you have to be to, to understand that it will cost Ukraine huge personal losses, that will cost a loss of territories to Ukraine, and that will push Ukraine into an unfavorable peace negotiation. And that's exactly what we are seeing today. Nobody mentioned that, but it was it's written in plain words in this strategy. They elaborated the strategy and then they say, beware, because this is a very dangerous one and Ukraine will suffer. And that's exactly what we are doing. And when you see the European Union and the US providing weapons and whatever to Ukraine, knowing that we, we don't even know what victory could look like, this has never been defined. What is a success? We don't even know that. But we keep pouring troops, ammunition, and weapons in Ukraine without knowing for what purpose. And at the end of the day, we know that, and that was said, by the way, by the, by the chief of the European command, the US European command, he said that, in fact, during this war, Russia has improved its military system, has in fact is reinforced 
by this war. So meaning that what everything we are doing now is just reinforcing Russia. So it's exactly the opposite of what it's claimed at political level. And now, of course, then you can uh, we can go to your next question about the issue of nuclear weapons and all that, which sounds to me totally uh, uh, misinformed. I mean, it, it, it's it's a it's a totally a, a stupid idea, because whatever you will do, you, you you the Russia has no intention whatsoever to come into attack NATO or attack Europe. This is that they, they never said so. <clears throat> they explained many times that they didn't want any conflict basically with with Europe. The conflict in Ukraine is not because of Ukraine, but because of how Ukraine treated the Russian speaking minority in the Donbass. And that's the reason why they intervene, period, nothing else. Mm -hmm. And of course, based on the success they will have, they will certainly use this success to achieve other goals political goals such as neutrality of Ukraine or something like that. But the, the goal was never to take over Ukraine and not even to expand Russia. That was not the idea. And again, in March 2022, Russia was ready to abandon all the territories they had conquered at that time in order to have an agreement with Ukraine. So territory is not an issue for for Russia, and they demonstrated that. So the the idea that you, uh, Russia would attack uh, uh, Europe is just a fantasy. And we are, but the the problem is, and I think what what worries me, in fact, is how our politicians and how our leaders in all countries uh, tend to make decisions based on prejudice based on opinions and not on facts because no facts supports the idea that russia would like to attack europe this is this was absolutely this has never been the case they they all the uh, russians tried since the end of the cold war they tried to join the european community so to so to say not directly the european union they even tried to join NATO. NATO, <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. And yeah. they tried a couple of times. I mean, they, they tried in the 50s already because the, the Russians have always this idea and they tried after uh, Khrushchev came and, you know, after destalinization, and then they started to rethink. The Russians were very keen to rethink the whole uh, security architecture in Europe. And they made this question uh, in, in the 50s to join NATO. Then they came back in the early 90s to ask to join NATO. Why that? Because the Russians and have always advocated the idea of security through cooperation and not security through confrontation. And that's mm -hmm. why, by the way, the conference for the security for the cooperation security in Europe, which is today the organization for the security and cooperation in Europe, this organization was initiated 
by the Soviet Union in the 70s and even the late 60s, by the way. So this was a Soviet idea to, to stop confrontation because they noticed that the confrontation, especially military confrontation, would be at a higher cost for the Russians than for the West. And they, they, they use a lot of money to develop the armed forces instead of developing the society. And that they noticed that very soon, and that's why they wanted to stop the the the, the cooperation. The the Friedliche um, Coexistence, the 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 peaceful coexistence concept came also from the Soviets because they wanted to have a situation where you don't need to confront. And, and that's because for them, it was a question of resources, where to allocate resources. And they would have preferred to allocate resources to, to develop uh, consumer goods and things like that mm. instead of developing weapons. In the West, we had the, the luxury of developing both simultaneously. Mm. So it was not our concern for us. Three minutes to go. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I show um, in my fingers. Yeah. Okay. That, that's good. So <laughs> this is, I think, uh, we we never tried to understand the Russians. And I think the reason for that is that uh, United States never admitted that they could be a competitor, a challenger to their might. And as long as China was a let's say, a third world country, that was not a problem. And now that China is emerging as a possible challenger <laughs> to the US, then it becomes the primary goal of the, 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 the national security and, and, and foreign policy of the US. Russia is no longer a priority in that sense, but it's a priority in the sense that it could support um, physically, materially, but also with resources, the, the power of China. And that's the reason why <coughs> they are so keen to weaken Russia. And, and weaken Russia is not just a paranoid idea of Vladimir Putin. You had already seven conferences in Europe in the last two years, how to dismantle Russia. That means to break Russia down to 18 to 30 countries based on the ethnicity of Russia. <laughs> and you had you had yeah. conferences. One of them happened even the European Parliament. So we are, we are not talking about a paranoid idea from the Russians. It is a project. And by the way, you can see that on the, uh, uh, the, the, the website of the U.S. State Department. So it's not yeah. just a, a, it's just a, a silly idea that we have trying to weaken others just to keep, and basically it's the application of the so-called Wolfowitz doctrine mm. that was established in the early 90s uh, by the, the Americans. And that's exactly what we were, what we, we witness uh, currently applied. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, the weird situation is that we have in Germany Harald Kujat, who is the voice of reason, uh, the former highest uh, German soldier in the NATO. We have Jacques Beau. We have on the American side the same. So now we better listen to the people who know what the military is. And uh, there are not many journalists who are really helpful in this pr process. 
Um, but it's always a pleasure to talk with you, Mr. Bo. And that I said, an independent mind. And uh, this is not tainted. It's not that you hear what you, your government wants you to hear. So this is the voice of reason that we still have. Yeah. Thank you very much and hope to see you, you again. Thank yeah. you very much. Thank you.